Greetings, you're watching the online ministry from St. Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. Uh, this has been prepared for the 23rd of January 2022. Our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 96. O sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, honour and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary.
creatures here below praise him above ye heavenly host praise father son and holy ghost uh, well welcome again to this online ministry. My name is Adam Draycott and it's great to be sharing with you during this time. Uh, if you're familiar with our online ministry, you'll know that we encourage you to participate and to be uh, interactive with what takes place now. We're not watching a show. Uh, this not, is not a moment of uh, voyeurism. It's a time where we encourage you to be active. And you can be active. Uh, maybe you participated in the singing uh, as we just had a time of praise. Uh, when we come to the Bible readings, we'll ask you to read the Bible out loud where you are. That's a really important exercise and prayer time as well. And of course, if I'm preaching and asking questions, yell out the answer to your heart's content. Uh, so let me just say that again. This in online in line online ministry is intended not to be a show but not to be something that you look in upon but something that you participate in so that you are spiritually edified as well that's really important to us here at St Augustine's we come to the ministry of God's Word our Bible readings today and again I invite you to read them out loud wherever you are whomever you're with I'll use the word whom, mum, are you proud? Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 2 to 10. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 14. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. Let me pray. Loving Father, we thank you for this time together. Feed and nurture us through the ministry of your word. Be at work by your spirit. Uh, lead us in the way of re repentance and faith that we might respond to Jesus rightly and appropriately such that you are glorified above all else. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I trust that you have your Bibles open at Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. Now, this is a story where Jesus is at home in Nazareth. He goes to his local synagogue, which is like going to his local church. He stands up and reads from the book of Isaiah. He says, hey, this is me. He sits down. Then he says a few more things. And then they, the local mob, his local village, actually try and throw him off the edge of a cliff. It's a, it's a remarkable story that moves from a time where they're really praising Jesus and then they want to punch him. It's, it, it happens that quickly. Which leaves you with a, a curious application at this point. Maybe, you know, if even the local church rejected Jesus, don't be surprised if yours does too. I mean, that's a terrible application, but all too real for some of us in our experience. Um, now, Nazareth, have I told you that I've been... I, I have, yep. Uh, here's a photo, 2016. I'm standing on a precipice, uh, a rocky outcrop. 
Um, and in the background, you can see the Jezreel Valley. Um, uh, in the distance to the left is Mount Tabor. In the middle is the Mount Carmel Range. And as I say, as I announce these places, uh, you will know this is the theatre of so many Old Testament stories. Um, I wonder, we were invited when we were here to just sit and imagine uh, Joseph bringing his boy Jesus uh, to this place and looking out uh, at the vista and sharing these stories. And tradition says it's this same rocky outcrop, if not here, then near, where Jesus's local synagogue <laughs> they tried to they tried to toss him off this ledge. Anyway, let's come to our text. Luke four fourteen. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout um, the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everybody praised him. See, it was a time of praise. Um, God is with Jesus. As he's anointed, he's anointed by the Spirit. And just as the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, here in chapter 4, verse 1, uh, now the Spirit leads Jesus to preach, verse 14. He's preaching, 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 and you need to see God is with him. He's, he's anointed by the Spirit. News spreads, people praise him, and this is the right response to Jesus. Hallelujah! Verse 16, Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. We know that. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue. Good, good churchy boy, uh, as was his custom. Uh, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is Isaiah 61. Here is the hometown lad in a local synagogue, in front of all those people he's grown up with and presumably he has a long family history with because, you know, small town thing. And he stands up in front of that lot and he says, I am this, I am he, I am, this is me, I am the Christ. Today. <laughs> and look at verse 20, he rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant, he sits down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue are fastened on him. I bet they were. See it clearly. Everything that Mary sang about in chapter 1, everything that Zechariah sang about in chapter 1, everything that the heavenly host sang about in chapter 2, there's lots of singing in Luke's gospel. You're right. Even Simeon and Anna, they sing, verse 29. Jesus is saying from God, everything that you hope for, all that these songs are about, it's fulfilled in me. And what will he do? Did you see it three times we are told? Jesus will proclaim the good news. He will proclaim the good news. He will proclaim the good news. His ministry is a speaking ministry. To whom? He's got in mind categories, doesn't he? 
the poor, the imprisoned, the blind, the oppressed. And so, of course, we read that and then we know in the Gospels that Jesus went out and he targeted the poor, the imprisoned, the blind and oppressed, didn't he? Did he? It's interesting. I don't know anybody that actually believes that Jesus literally walked around targeting specific people. As if he would sift the crowds. Excuse me, just let me come through. I, yeah, I haven't come for you. I'm actually looking for a blind person. Uh, excuse me, no, no, sorry, I didn't come for you, rich man. I'm actually looking for a poor person. Sorry, no, 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 I don't have time for you either. I'm looking for four categories, people. It's not hard. Make four lines. Let's go. You think about it very carefully because it would rule out if Jesus only came for the the, 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 the poor in their pockets, well, it would rule out Zacchaeus because he was loaded and Levi, he was loaded. Uh, there's no record actually of Jesus relieving someone's financial problems. In fact, when a poor widow gives her all at the temple, he's doing the legend. He's all praise for her. Doesn't tell her not to do it. And what about the imprisoned? Jesus was famous for his jailbreaks. Is that right? No. No, no. He asked John the Baptist to see how it rolled for him. He stayed in jail and then he lost his head. Think at the end of Jesus' ministry. Are there still loads of people that are blind or crippled? And what about oppression? Rome was the big oppressor. And here's Jesus, I think it's chapter 11, you can read about Jesus doing a miracle for a centurion. So how do we understand this? What do we do with it? What does it all mean? Adam, you've muddied it up. Yep, I have. Well, not really. I want to say to you that in the Bible, I believe to be imprisoned, blind, poor or oppressed, it speaks to... One spiritual human condition. It's what Jesus is doing and it's why he's come. He's come for the spiritual condition. How do I know that? Let me prove it. Revelation chapter 3 verse 17. It says, you say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you, says God, you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. God is talking about the spiritual condition. We need to understand the spiritual condition so that we know that a person needs to go to Jesus for that spiritual condition to be met. And when we come to Jesus who died for us, he will transform us and he will give us a brand new life. Jesus has come for those who are cut off from the riches of God. People who are spiritually, eternally, desperately, dreadfully poor. Are the people of Inverell poor? Are the people of your town poor? The poor in our schools? The poor in our workplaces? The poor at the sale yards, the poor at Rotary or our sporting clubs. There are many here in Inverell. And I'm not talking about poverty of pocket. I'm talking about spiritual poverty, the poverty that God sees. 
Do we have a ministry to the poor of Inverell? Absolutely. And the people of Inverell, like every other town in country New South Wales, we have two problems. One, we're desperately poor. Two, we don't know that we're poor. People of Inverell think they're fine, living the dream. Idyllic Inverell. But doesn't this speak to what we're about? That we as Christians, we have riches to share, gospel riches for spiritual poverty. That we would bring to people the message of Jesus and they would experience spiritual riches that transforms their heart and that they would begin to live in this world knowing that the greatest need anybody has in the world is that they will be rich in Christ. And then, when we get the gospel, when we know the riches that we have in Christ, well, we share everything with people. We begin to share everything. Sharing not just the gospel, but everything we have. Because our hearts have been transformed. Gospel first, everything flows out of that, including social justice. But it's the gospel first. Jesus is preaching spiritual riches, spiritual freedom, spiritual answers, spiritual strength. Jesus wants people to have a new life and in him they can have it. And when people turn to him and when they receive him, they receive new life, which then spills over into care and compassion and kindness beyond what could have possibly been envisaged humanly prior. Of course, these words are good and gracious, but there's more. Because we're yet to talk about the punch, aren't we? Here comes the punch. This is part two. So brace yourself. Buckle in. A fuse has been lit. It's sparkling away. And it's about to go bang. Things shift such that these hometown people explode with anger. Look What's gone wrong? What's gone wrong? Look, come with me. Verse 22. All, of, all spoke well of him. They were amazed at, his, at the gracious words that came from his lips. <laughs> He's speaking gracious words. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. It's kind of nice. Remember, God walks among them in Nazareth, though. And it seems that all they can see at the moment is the son of a local carpenter. So there's a tinge of sadness about that observation. Verse 23, Jesus says, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician or doctor, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. <laughs> so Jesus is saying, I know the Bush Telegraph has been in good operation. I know you've heard the stories from the other side of the lake, the other side of the sea, over at Capernaum. I know that. And, and as I read this, I'm kind of thinking, this is about to go pear shape. I know that because I knew the story. But why doesn't Jesus just cool them off with a quick miracle? Just quick show, pull a rabbit out of the hat, they'll be happy and they'll move on. I mean, why is Jesus being a bit touchy and difficult here that was my question and of course the answer one answer you'll already know is that jesus has come 
He's the anointed one who's come to pro proclaim the good news. That's one answer. He hasn't come to do miracles. He's come to preach the good news, to proclaim freedom. Miracles are not the why. Uh, preaching the word is, speaking God's truth into the world is. But notice Jesus puts his cards on the table. He's basically saying, you're going to ask me to prove myself. And we then go, yeah, how does that ever go? Does that ever go well when people ask Jesus for a sign, put on a show? And then you go, oh, that doesn't go so well. This isn't going to go so well. I mean, do you, do you think Jesus needs to somehow live up to our expectations at this point? And we're reminded, man, Jesus doesn't justify himself to anybody. He doesn't have to. Verse 24. Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Jesus knows their minds. Um, justify yourself, Jesus. That's what they're thinking. You're in the dock, Jesus. That's what they're thinking. And Jesus won't come at that. He's not giving them a miracle. He's actually going to preach, which is what he's come to do. Two stories from the Old Testament. Two stories that are going to infuriate them, but the two stories that should be familiar. So verse 25, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. In other words, they went hungry. Yet, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon, somewhere else completely. Time of famine. Lots of widows in Israel, none fed, but a foreign woman outside of the promised land was. That's 1 Kings 17, if you want to read it. Verse 27, so, okay, that's um, a tough story to hear. Verse 27, there were many in Israel with leprosy in the same time of Elisha the prophet. Yet none of them were cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Wait, what? Not one leper in Israel was he healed, such was the need, but a foreigner, a military guy from Syria, a guy called Naaman, he was? Are you serious? That's 2 Kings chapter 5, by the way. And so the synagogue goes boom at these two stories. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up to drive him out of town took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built uh, in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Imagine Jesus playing NRL. He'd be amazing. Uh, strike that. Now, why? Why are they so mad? Jesus is saying God has bypassed Israel. He's gone to the Gentiles. He's gone somewhere else. Israel rejected God's word, rejected the prophets, yet a foreign widow did not, and a foreign military man did not. No, they were both blessed. Which makes you worse than any foreign leper, and you're worse than any foreign widow, says Jesus, because you're rejecting God's messenger, you're rejecting his word. People like them, the foreigners, they, they've got a better chance of being blessed by God than you did. When you reject God, like you're doing now with me, God will go and bless elsewhere. And that's what God did with Elisha and Elijah. And so Jesus is saying, I'm not in the dock here, guys. You're in the dock. 
And like Israel before Nazareth, you've got to decide rightly about God's messenger, me. Both a widow and Naaman, they didn't ask for a miracle first. They didn't need a miracle first. They took Elisha and Elijah both at their word, at face value. And here in the synagogue, is it happening? No, no, it's not happening. And so here is another thing not evident in the synagogue. Both a widow and Naaman receive huge blessing from God because they know they're desperate. They're not standing on their high horse. So they talk about miracles, give us a show, justify yourself. They know they are poor. They know they are captive. They know they are helpless and oppressed. And that isn't happening in the synagogue either. God spoke to the widow. God spoke to Naaman. They took the prophet at his word. And knowing their need, they responded to God's faith. They responded to God and God's favour fell on them in abundance. And so do you see why the synagogue is so angry? Because isn't it possible God, Jesus saying, you know, God went to these people because they have something you don't have. Do you know what it is? God went to them because they've got something you don't have. A humble, receptive faith. None of this prove yourself to me garbage. Justify yourself, Jesus. The widow and Naaman take the good news in because they knew they were desperate. You in the synagogue, though, Jesus might have said you're in a desperate situation. You are poor, you are imprisoned, you are blind, you are oppressed. You think you're in the driving seat, but you're in the back seat. Your condition is desperate and you don't know it and you won't face it. And so you won't ask for help and you won't get help. And God, well, he'll go looking for the person who does ask for help. He'll find the one who is desperate and who knows their need, just like the bloke in the next story. That's interesting. You see why the crowd got indignant? wasn't simply that Jesus said, ah, oh, the Gentiles got blessed. What Jesus was saying to them is, you guys are going to miss out. And the reason isn't God. It's not God's fault. It's, it's on you. It's difficult to realise how desperately in need we are. We are in a culture that preaches to us all the time about self-belief and self-confidence and self-congratulation and entitlement because you deserve it. And we're all good people, aren't we? It is hard to remember before God that we are desperate for salvation and when we are saved, desperate for his daily provision. When we grasp for ourselves uh, that we are poor spiritually, that we are trapped in sin, and blind in this universe that God has put us in, and depressed with trouble. And when we call to the Lord, he will save us. And when we go on and recognise how frail and weak and needy we are, even as his children and we call to the Lord, the Holy Spirit works in us more powerfully 
than a thousand external helps. This passage encourages us to respond to Jesus rightly. It helps us to see that Jesus sets the terms, not me. That he's God's anointed one that meets us in our poverty. That we are to come to him humbly and obediently, taking him at his word, recognising our desperate need daily, daily. And there we will find forgiveness every time and restoration every time and the hope of new life. Hallelujah. For anything less is to reject the Saviour who loves you. Anything less is to reject the Saviour who loves you. And that is a path to be avoided. So the invitation then is to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and put your trust in him. Amen.
Come to a time of prayer, uh, make a list of things that you're thankful to God for, pray them out loud, find the Lord's Prayer, uh, pray through that, take your time with it, uh, think through carefully each line. That's a good thing to do. Uh, pray for one another, please. Pray for Matt and Deanna and the children who are... Um, uh, now a week away from uh, landing in Inverell. Sadly, they all have COVID and they're navigating that at the moment. I know they'd appreciate your prayers very much. It's not an easy season before you start in a parish. They're homeless at the moment and they're about, they've left friends in Sydney and their home of three years where they established themselves and now they're pulling up roots. They're going to land in a new town new church family, new friendships, new job. It's all very stressful. And now you can add to that COVID. So uh, I know they deeply value your prayers, so please be praying for them. Pray for uh, our diocese, for uh, our Bishop Rod, our Dean of our Cathedral, uh, Dean Christopher Brennan. Pray for John O'Earnshaw, who's being inducted at Tenerfield. Uh, next weekend. I know he values your prayers. Uh, pray for Gordon Stewart and Olita, who are facing, um, Olita's facing medical challenges at the moment. I know they value your prayers as well. Uh, lots, of, lots for us to commit the Lord. And then there's what those people that you know. Uh, entrust them to the Lord, please. Pray your prayers out loud. Be encouraged. And uh, be, be challenged by God's word today. Pray in light of what you've read in the scriptures. But the, the biggest encouragement is don't not pray, pray. So I invite you to do that now. Let me close with the words of this blessing from Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and most of all, May the Lord grant you his peace. Amen.